This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Earth 2, Episodes 2 and 3. A stranger travels light, carries only his story. Name's Gull. Says he was an astronaut, Pontel 7 Project. His cold sleep timer malfunctions. Ship's dragged into this sun's orbit, crashes. Guy thinks he's headed home. But wakes up here. No people for a billion miles, stranded 15 years on this unknown planet, just the horror of loneliness to keep him company. Now he's found us to welcome him. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that wants to know why you're so wretched, Poppet. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Just call me a magpie. Quack! <laughs> also a very That's good line. That's pretty good, right? Very good line from this episode. Um, so we're back from Earth 2, but this week we're joined by a guest. Billy, welcome to the show. What's up? <laughs> what a reference. Uh, sorry, guys. I just wanted to try that out. Just setting up your catchphrase early? Yeah, uh, this is my first podcast being a guest on, so I wanted to see if that worked, and maybe I'll, I'll workshop it around. <laughs> Well, uh, Billy, as you know, being on the show, we're we're watching sci-fi TV. We're getting into it. So what about you? Are you a fan of sci-fi TV shows? Are there any shows that are like your bag? Like, wh- why why did you agree to do this? Uh, well, first, Jordan got on his hands and knees and begged me to be a guest on his show. That's true. Because he was just like, God damn it, Billy, you're so funny. And your commentary is just it's the best thing I've ever heard. So you please have to come and save my little podcast. That's what he said. You're a big get. I did say my podcast too. And then I said, Owen oh, Luke's on it as well. Yeah. He said, he said it's called Jordan's continuum drag featuring Luke. <laughs> the featuring credit. I'll take it. As far as TV shows go, I can't really recall ones that I watched growing up. I know that I think like a lot of us, like my first foray into sci-fi was my dad introducing me to Star Wars. And then he tried to get me onto Star Trek, but there was just, I could not, I could not, I couldn't do it. And still to this day, I try Star Trek and I just, I can't get into it. But I did watch Picard and now I stand by my decision to not get into Star Trek. (laughs) I mean, not the strongest introduction, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that's very funny because I think both Jordan and I probably started this podcast because of how much we do like Star Trek. Oh, crap. I just really stepped in it now, didn't I? One of the first conversations Luke and I had was because uh, my uh, my phone had a ringtone and I think it had Star Trek sound effects. And then we were like, ah, bosom buddies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you don't have a lot of friends, just like me. Is Bosom Buddies sci-fi? No, no. <laughs> no, I meant we are Bosom Buddies. I, uh, I'm Tom Hanks, and uh, Luke's... Uh, who is that other guy? I have no idea. Isn't it Peter Scolari? Sure, might be. He was also played the Rick Moranis role in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids TV show. Oh. Is that right? Fun fact. That is a fun fact. <laughs> I, I think my favorite my favorite sci-fi movie when I was a kid was Space Jam. <laughs> Second Space Jam cast on this show. But they only go to space for like 10 minutes in the entire movie. So I don't know if that counts as sci-fi. Isn't that weird? That's the only movie we've had repeated from a uh, guest. And Space Jam has come twice now as, as someone's favorite sci-fi movie. It's classic. <laughs> That's what we're learning. Jordan, you, you're a big fan, right? I've never seen it. <laughs> what? Oh my god. You are older than me. I was too busy watching The, the Fugitive for the 45th time. Oh, uh, you know what? I never saw The Fugitive, but I did see the sequel, U.S. Marshals, which I enjoyed a lot. <laughs> it's okay. It's a pretty good one. <laughs> was U.S. Marshals pre or post uh, Robert going to, uh, our DJ going to jail? I think it was during that time. I, he wasn't at the, the high point of his career. I know that. Right. I think that was post-jail 
Oh, so that was the start of his like comeback? Yeah, that was rebuilding years. Right. Uh, Billy, before we get into this week's episodes, I wanted to ask you, and I think I know the answer already, but had you ever heard of Earth 2 before you sat down to watch these two random episodes? Absolutely not. So this is all brand new to you. Absolutely. And um, I'm surprised I didn't hear about it before because there's some big names attached to it. Like, created by Billy Ray and Mark Levin. Mark Levin is like, he's a writer on Big Mouth, which is one of my favorite shows. I love that show. And and you were named after Billy Ray, right? Uh, not this Billy Ray. I It's actually... Bit... <laughs> no, I think it... Probably this no, one. Was, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus was the one I was. Uh, I think I was named after. <laughs> well, um, shall we get into it, you guys? Yes. I just want to preface that I purposefully watched just these two episodes because I wanted to see if I could figure out what the hell was going on without watching the pilot. That's good. I like guests to think of it like they just turned on the TV and like this was what was on. Yeah. And they're just like, all right, I'll just watch this, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Here is the IMDb summary for episode two, The Man Who Fell to Earth, bracket two. With narration by Danziger, the colonists discover more from the indigenous humanoid aliens and find a human, Gaul, who claims creatures beat him near to death. That was courtesy of Lynn R. Davis. I think Lynn's got it. That's pretty much what you get. Yeah, I mean, it, this this episode starts off kind of where the last episode ended, uh... On Tim Curry, our uh, big reveal at the end of episode one was Tim Curry was in this show. He rarely appears in the pilot, Billy. So this is like all Tim Curry all the time going forward. And it's very exciting. Tim Curry was the best part of these two episodes, in my opinion. I agree with you. I'm not going to disagree. He's a real strong point this show's got going for him. He's playing the role of Gaul. And when we meet him, he's digging up the grave of Commander O'Neill, who uh, died from a poison accident in the first episode with a new kind of alien we haven't seen the grendlers i love the grendlers you know what they remind me of they look a little bit like something uh, the jim henson company would have put out in the early 90s like labyrinth kind of era and, and i loved exactly. it exactly exactly i immediately when i saw those things i was just like this is like dark crystal yeah yeah, that's a very good description. And they're very man-in-suit aliens where it's like the head is on someone's chest and it's all drooly and gross. And like they kind of wrapped up when like regs like a Jawa or something. <laughs> and I think it's aged really well because as we've seen with some shows, especially shows in the early 90s that are doing, you know, a little bit of CGI and stuff, that hasn't aged well. But I think these puppets look, for better or worse, as good as they did in 1994. 100%. Yeah. And... We don't get to know much about the Grendlers off the top. Uh, I think at some point, Gaul will tell us they're like uh, basically a trader race. They go around, they collect things, they trade them with other races. So we mostly just see them as kind of like in the background with Gaul or kind of helping him out. But as I mentioned here, they're digging up the grave of the commander who died when they got to the planet. And I loved it because they get to the bottom, they get to where his corpse should be. And it turns out they buried the commander alive. <laughs> I was kind of surprised because I thought that was a big thing in the first episode that they introduced this character. It's like he's going to be a main character. Then they killed him. And you're like, wow, in the first episode, then they bring him back. You're like, oh, well, I thought he was going to be dead. There aren't enough shows, I think, that bury characters alive. So I was just like, whoa, dark. I'm into it. And, and this is a bit of a spoiler. But don't you hope they kill him every episode? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... He does not have long for this world still. I do like, imagine getting a cast and you're like, we're going to kill you in the first episode and then we're going to kill you again in the <laughs> yeah. second episode. <laughs> I had like, when that opening scene was going on, I had no idea what the fuck was happening. And this guy buried, I thought he was being tortured. It wasn't until the end of the episode that I realized when Rebecca Gayhart finds him that he was dead. Yeah, I'm sure that must have been a very confusing opening. You're like, whoa, whoa, Tim Curry. Oh, what are these aliens? Why is this man in the ground? And can we talk about Tim Curry's hair? Oh, yeah. I feel like he just brought his own wardrobe. <laughs> well, I think it's supposed to be sort of like clothing that has become worn or he's pieced together himself. But it, uh, I don't know. He said he's been stranded there for 15 years. His hair looks like it's been there for 15 years, but his facial hair is so well-groomed. 
I think those Grendlers shave him. <laughs> They're traitors and barbers. By <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the Grendlers, that's what these um, Dark Crystal guys are. And then they also mention Tarians. Is that the, yes. the ugly-ass alien that the kid smiles at? A hundred percent. He's like a tall, weird looking alien. They live in the dirt. Also, what was that reaction? If I saw that fucking thing, I would not. He just smiled at it, dumbfounded. Well, I won't go into much about that, too. But in the previous episode, they had abducted him and cured him of the disease he had. And he feels like he's friends with them now. And he like his whole thing is, I think he's going to bridge the communication gap between these two alien species. I don't know if I could have a conversation with someone so ugly. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I say that, but I still talk to Jordan, so I don't know. Oh, oh, it's only been a few minutes into it. <laughs> okay, also, I did not know that Tim Curry's name was Gall. I just wrote that down. I called him Tim Curry in all my notes. You can call him Tim Curry. We'll know who you're talking about. <laughs> um, so last episode, we had uh, Devin, who is the woman, uh, the mother of Yuli narrating. This episode, we're seeing Danziger gets the chance. He gives a real old westy gritty style narration next episode his daughter true will narrate i guess what we're seeing here is every episode is going to be separately narrated by a different character yeah but it doesn't seem like it would change much if just one person was doing the narration it's kind of for the perspective at least in episode three it's more from true's perspective but this one's not really from dan zager's like it's not specifically from his perspective yeah, they're just breaking up the workload, Jordan. Gotta give everybody a little piece, a little taste. I suppose. Dan Ziger's my favorite main character, though, so I'm happy with it. I absolutely love, I love Clancy Brown, and I love his carrot-top chic haircut that he's got going on. <laughs> when you guys are talking about his narration, I really, I wrote down the line, someone should tell him I'm not the welcoming kind. But I was just like... <laughs> But so when he said that, I was like, why don't, why don't you go tell him, tough guy? <laughs> he's, he's only tough in his head when he's narrating. Out yeah. loud, he's like quite meek. <laughs> Billy, it's the same thing. You know when you're in the shower and you're saying all the things you should have said to that person? That's true. Yeah. It works the same in voiceover. It's like uh, the jerk store. Yeah, that's right. Be great if all these voiceovers were like you cut away to the end and it's just like someone in the shower just like at the end of the day being, no I should have said this that's the, been the voiceover the whole episode wait yeah. Luke are you saying that you want to see that little girl in the shower at the end of episode three <laughs> I mean <laughs> Billy save it for Jordan <laughs> uh, man you weren't lying when Billy was going to come with knives out <laughs> <laughs> So this episode, we'll just kind of catch up with what's going on with everyone. That's kind of like post-pilot. We kind of just see what everyone's up to. We've got our old pilot with the broken leg, Solace. He's a bit of a mess because he's not loving these dreams he's having the Tarians, but we don't spend much time with him. We get to see Yale, the cyborg, the, the cyborg, the cyborg tutor, and he's, uh, he's watching hollows on his holographic hand. But he, what he's watching is an image of a planet that's intercut with nuclear explosions and Hitler. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I liked it. I don't know. I just was like, what is, what on earth could he possibly be watching right now? Aren't they like a thousand years into the future? They're still really big on World War II, though. Yeah, I mean, the Great War. <laughs> Actually, and we do see that, that uh, the government stooge, who you may not know this, but there's a character named Morgan Martin who we'll see. He's always kind of, he's a bit of a sniveling dweeb. I fucking hate Morgan. I fucking hate him so much. I mean, that's his character. I did Google briefly, like, what the plot was. Didn't they all go voluntarily? He's complaining the entire fucking time. Well, he is there as a government liaison. I believe, hold on, I wrote it down. We actually get what his title is. So I think he was forced to go for work. But he tells us his title this this episode is the Deputy Deputy Secretary of Interstellar Development. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a job. He is, like, as always, angry with everything. And in this particular case, he he catches Yale watching his weird hollow Hitler program. <laughs> and we kind of get a little more I- insight into this uh, defective tutor program. I guess the Yales were created for the, the super rich, so their children would have private tutors. Ooh, that's, that's problematic. Yeah, well, and they were criminals who had their minds wiped. And I guess it doesn't sound like 
the way he puts it is when they would break down, they wouldn't kill people. They would kind of just jump off of buildings and kill themselves. So I thought Yale was going to be more of a defective, like we have to worry about him going rogue, but it does seem like perhaps it's a little more sad what's going to happen to him. Like there's going to be more depression involved. You know what's interesting though, and this is jumping ahead a little bit and we come back to it, but as you said, it's part of his punishment, right? From whatever he had done that he's become made to the cyborg. You would think he'd be more sympathetic to Gaul as we go on, but he seems like he's really out to get him. Yeah, there's some something telling me that whatever the brain restructuring they've done that they've implied over this is to make him hate his criminal past. So I, I thought maybe that was was extending to Gaul and like Gaul being so shady. What he sees in Gaul, maybe he hates in himself. Right, maybe, yeah. That's deep. It's a deep show, Billy. It's a deep show. <laughs> oh, it's not a deep show. All through watching these two episodes, I could not help but thinking about, and I don't know if you guys said this in the pilot, but Lost. It's got a very Lost vibe to it. I agree that it feels very ahead of its time in the serialization side. Like, it feels more like this would have been on the same time as Lost, not that it was on 10 years beforehand. Yeah, I just kept watching. I was like, oh, this is... I actually didn't hate this show. I was just like, this is kind of like Lost, but just with no humor. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Tim Curry is bringing as much as he can, but he's the only one. (laughs) I will say Tim Curry really brought... And I was was really mad that Jordan said the magpie thing because I really was hoping I would bring it up. Well, when we get to it, you can you can do your own. We'll all do our own renditions. Um, but yeah, Tim Curry as Gaul pretty quickly like joins the rest of the group here. Like he's been separate in the he wasn't in the pilot. He's kind of on the outskirts at the beginning of this episode. But when the robot Zero is babysitting the two kids on the show, they go to collect wood in the forest very quickly at the top of the show. They discovered an unconscious Gaul with a little bit of blood on his face, and they sort of bring him back to the camp. And we basically get. Gaul introduced to the community and kind of get a bit of his backstory or at least what he's telling them his backstory is like how he got to this planet and you get the sense right off the bat that he's shady like I think it's an interesting decision from the writers and the uh, people behind the scenes on the show that the viewer knows before the characters do that there's something off with him yeah like he kind of tells them he's an astronaut from the Pontel 7 project who uh, his uh, cryosleep broke down, went off course, crashed on this planet 11 years ago, and he's kind of been stuck here since then. And he's like, he's really framing it like, oh, finally they sent a rescue party for me. And uh, sorry, Jordan, did you catch much? I I love the details of the Pontel 7 project because it was so specific when they went into it. I did see that they said they were one-man spaceships. So I'm assuming really small, sort of like just like almost like a plane more than a spaceship um, that he was traveling in. Yeah, it's sort of like solo missions on a like, they basically send them on big loops of the galaxy to go exploring and come back. But when they really dig into it, someone's just like, oh, yeah, that whole that whole project was just like, how do they put it? It was a, quote, pork belly make work project for defense contractors. (laughs) Yeah, that's not what you want to hear if you've been stranded for 15 years. This show's ability to like weave in like the backstory really makes me laugh. And maybe it's just because we're in 2020, but like so much of the backstory of like Earth and the government is just sounds like just like capitalism run amok. It's just like, ah, we just had to make work so we could send money to our buddies and defense contractors. So like we just had this shitty program where we sent astronauts off to suffer for 11 light years. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's a good note you make, though. This show does do that. It it's very in some ways it's very subtle in the way they do the world building. It's a lot of. Uh, comment here comment there there's not a lot of uh, delving into things it sort of lets the viewer uh, fill in the blanks but essentially what they kind of come to think is the grendlers beat him up out in the forest so they're like hey you're just another earthling why don't you join the team we're we're headed to new pacifica to get rescued and because gall's been kind of like watching them from a distance he he's been spying on them we know this he's kind of like he clearly has some sort of plan and it especially seems as we get further into it, there's he's, there's some scheme he's working on. Because very early on, he talks to old uh, Morgan Martin, the uh, the little government stooge man, and very quickly is just like, "Hey, uh, check out True, the little girl. She seems to always be putting food in her bag, eh? What a what a weird thing. But you know, it's understandable being a little girl afraid out here. And it, you know, he knows that Morgan's gonna flip out. Morgan immediately goes over and like starts going through the little girl's bag, but in her bag is that little. I believe they give him a name this episode, uh, Cobuzz, 
it's that little like gremlin-y thing we saw last episode that has poison nails. So he's going through it, immediately gets stung, and passes out. Like we were like, oh, that's the end of Morgan Martin, just like it killed the commander. Of course, we know now the commander's not dead, but this is all a setup because Gull basically set him up to go get stung so that when he passes out and they're all like, oh no, another person's dead, he can be like, oh no, it just knocks you out for a day. So I guess you buried your commander alive. Like there's this like, it's very early on we see he's seeding some very elaborate scheme that he's been planning. I thought he would just join the team, but it's a scheme of some sort. And one side note, how much does their doctor suck that she didn't know the difference between a coma and actually someone being dead? I mean, that Nintendo Power Glove can only sense so much. Oh, I loved <laughs> That's true. I, I loved that glove. I thought that glove was great. I did also call her, uh, I called her Dr. Hot Blonde. <laughs> In my notes. I knew you think she was hot, Billy. <laughs> she was, I love a smart woman. Although, as you just pointed out, she's not that smart. <laughs> she's all they got, though. I think you and Alonzo Salas would get along great. I also wrote, Rebecca Gayhart's corset vest is hot. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, a lot of corsets on this show. Also, okay, back to um, Yale. I'm just wondering, okay, now that I know his backstory, like what you guys were saying, my impression of him was I got that, you know, the magical black guy trope a little bit. Absolutely. He just knows everything. And then... Rebecca Gayhart has a scene with him where she's surprised that he's smart and knows things. And I'm like, but he's a robot. Is it because he's a black robot, Rebecca Gayhart? <laughs> uh, I mean, Rebecca Gayhart's character is supposed to be a pretty privileged white person. So maybe, maybe that's the case. I'll tell you one thing about her character. You wouldn't want to get her behind the wheel of a car, though, am I right? <laughs> because she killed that kid with a car. <laughs> In real life. Well, as as we found out, she can't anyway because only Clancy Brown can control the cars. Sorry, I jumped ahead. Getting back to kind of what's happening with this scheme with Gaul is as soon as he he basically tells them, oh, you buried your commander alive. They immediately rush back to the grave. It's been three days, but they're hoping they can dig him up. <laughs> Discover he's already out of the grave. And... Gull really quickly starts entering what seems like phase two of the plan, where he's just like, oh, yeah, you know, this looks like the work of Grendler's. Good news, though. I speak their language. So maybe we can find some, find out what's going on with your commander. Uh, And of course, very shortly after that, as any scheme would, a Grendler comes to camp. He has a conversation. He's just like, hey, listen, they have your commander. They'll trade him, but they want three of your generators. And as soon as everyone freaks out, he's like, don't worry. I talked him down to one generator. Like, it is all very much like, a uh, uh, badly planned heist happening. <laughs> Their commander, what's her face? Uh, Devo, what's her name? Devin. Devin. She, um, oh yeah, sounds like a shampoo. She even gets a shorter role in this episode and the next two episodes than she did in the first episode. It's like, as the commanding officer, she always seems to be in the background. Yeah, what is up with that? It's like they were trying to be progressive by having this female captain like be the head of this show. And she's even, I think she's billed first in the credits too. But I forget that she exists over the two hours that I watched this show. Yeah, she's definitely sidelined for these two episodes. I don't know if it was because they were trying to fill out some of the other side characters, but she wasn't like super heavily featured in the first episode either. So it is it a bit strange. It is weird because you're right. You both refer to her as the commander and she does seem to have like say in how the expedition is going to go. But I never see her in a command role, really. She's always constantly just asking questions it is is odd because if i had to pick someone in charge it's gall he seems like he can get things done <laughs> he's gonna make uh he's gonna make earth too great again <laughs> um i didn't want to separately step aside for a second because we're mostly going to be focused on gall this episode and this whole scheme he's come up with but there's kind of this moment here because morgan martin was stung by the little coba has gone into this coma we kind of get this like small scenes throughout this where um after the generator's gone Rebecca Gayhart's best is hanging out with her husband, taking care of her. And the little girl, True, feels very badly because she hid that little monster. She knew what it could do. And at some point she goes to visit basically the hospital tent. And she's just like so meek and quiet. And she's like, Bess, I know you don't want to hear this, but I'm so, so sorry that happened to your husband. And Rebecca Gayhart turns around and just, I believe her quote is like, you're right, True. I don't care. And I was just like, whoa, I love how much she's just shutting this little girl down. 
Yeah, I really love that. I love that scene. It was really great. Also, the little girl couldn't take, she couldn't take a hint. <laughs> no, she could not. We could take a vote. She's the worst character, right? Bess or True? True. I disagree. I like her a lot. Oh, do you? Oh, I hate her. Uh, yeah, I, I was okay with her in episode two. I fucking hated her in episode three. I, I like her way more than I like Yuli. Oh, I don't like Yuli either, but he's just like, he's not even a thing. Okay, now that I understand that he was sick before, that I guess maybe, is he just a little dumb because of that? <laughs> no, I mean, we'll see this a lot more because the episode with True is next episode. But I actually, I'm realizing more and more, he's just a spoiled rich kid. Yeah, you're probably right. And he looks like the kid from Jurassic Park. I agree. I thought it was him and I IMDb'd him and I was like, oh, fuck, it's not him. Every time I see him too, I'm just like, he does look exactly like the kid from Jurassic Park. Right? Right? I feel like he must have been cast for that reason. Because this is an Amblin Entertainment sort of production. So they must have been like, we got to get that Jurassic Park kid energy. <laughs> but yeah, there's, so there's a few scenes with Morgan getting better. Obviously, we know he's going to get better. And as he sort of does, there is this scene you mentioned where Bess hears a noise outside as he's kind of coming out of his coma. And when he goes, she goes outside, the commander's been returned. He's been bound and gagged. He's wandered back into camp, released by the Grendlers. And she undoes his, uh, I guess he's got a gag in his mouth. Maybe he pulls it out. But she screams when she sees him. He takes the gag out and says, you shouldn't have buried me. (laughs) Okay. When I first saw this scene, I had to rewind it three times because I thought he said, you should have married me. (laughs) 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 And I just could not understand what was going on and i was like is she having an affair with the guy like did he die and then she went to morgan immediately got married to someone else yeah i was like who married them on this the captain like did she do and then i had to rewind it again and then i thought he said you should have buried me and then i rewinded <laughs> it again and then i got you sh- uh you shouldn't have buried me so third third time was a charm on that one. I really liked it because it really was just like, he comes back, he's just like, I've got a huge grudge against all of you. So the first thing I'm going to tell you about is that. <laughs> I think that's fair, though. Um, but I do like, because Morgan's just come out of his coma, and obviously the commander was in a similar kind of near-death coma, there's a weird scene where the two of them dis- discuss or share their near-death experiences. And... I don't know if this is meant to imply there is a heaven or a hell, but it's very funny because Morgan's just like, I think I went to hell. And the commander's like, nah, me, I went to heaven. I guess suck it, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much it. That's pretty much the scene. But anyway, let's get back to Gull. He's kind of the focus of this episode. So he's been kicking around camp. He's kind of trying to ingratiate himself to the various people, you know, make him seem like he'll be a valuable member for whatever this scheme is. It requires him to get close with them. And... He kind of does this by, you know, he sucks up to Solace by talking about how, you know, he's had those same Tarian dreams and he kind of like tries to apply. like, don't don't get comfortable with them. They're the bad guys, which, you know, we know anything he's saying is probably the opposite of the truth. But, you know, we kind of get a little bit of that. He gets to meet the commander who's come who's come back to life, who's come out of that grave. And the commander's like, hey, I happen to know the guy who used to run those Pontel 7 missions. You know, how, did you know him? And Gaul's immediately, you know, caught in a lie being like, um, no, I don't think I knew him. And they're like, well... If you, if you were a Pontel astronaut, what was the what was the what was the propulsion method of your spaceship? He's just like, buddy, that was 15 years ago. Who can remember? <laughs> to be fair, that'd be my answers too. If you said like, hey, what was your whatever? Remember something? I don't remember anything. I'd be like, I don't know. Go ask Laura. Yeah, but I go feel like, Laura. but but I feel like if he, if you're an astronaut and you're training to go into space. And if you're training to do this one mission where it's a one manned mission, which is a terrible idea, you would think that that kind of stuff would be engraved into your mind. I mean, the commander agrees because he's very suspicious of, uh, of Gaul and like very early on because a, the commander's pissed off at the team for burying him (laughs) at the Grendlers for holding him hostage. And now he's just like, and I don't like this Gaul guy either. So I'm going to follow him around. Mm Mm-hmm. He kind of follows Gaul off to a, a, a cave system that's nearby, where inside the cave he discovers not just human bones, but a real cool chill-out room that Gaul's built in there. <laughs> yeah, it's his... <laughs> he uh, made it homey. It's his man cave, right? Yeah. Gaul is a man cave. 
he's got the generator there. He's got a little man cave going. And, uh, you know, the commander's like, all right, obviously something's weird here. And it's very funny because Gull, like, you know, they bump into the man cave and Gull's like, all right, you caught me. I'll explain everything that's happening. Like, Gull has no problem explaining what's going on. And this is, I think, the scene you wanted to do, Billy, where uh, he's looking around this man cave. It's just full of junk. And Gaul steps out of the shadows and reveals why it's full of junk. Oh, yeah. And then he goes, Rah! <laughs> It's like this ridiculous thing that I I had to pause it because I was laughing so fucking loud at, like, I just, I couldn't compose myself because Tim Curry is amazing in this. He's chewing the scenery in such a great way. He's just like, I'm a guy who, as we find out here, is he, he comes clean with the commander. Is He is not an astronaut, as we all could have guessed, but he's part of a penal colony that was sent from the stations to Earth 2 20, uh, not 20, 15 years ago, and he's now the sole remaining penal colonist, he says anyway, that's left on the planet. What I liked about this, though, the scene coming up, so basically you have now a standoff with Gaul and O'Neill, right? Yes, Commander O'Neill. And what you have is O'Neill's armed, and he's got the two Gredlers on one side and Gaul's right in front of him. And uh, Gaul's basically like, what are you going to do? And he makes the worst opening move ever, which is just pull your little phaser gun out and shoot the guy. But instead he grabs a skull, throws the skull, and then doesn't have a chance to pull his little phaser gun out because they grab him. I'm like, the skull's not going to do anything. Yeah, the commander really misplayed. I mean, at some point, too, I think I think Gaul literally says he's just like, if you're going to kill me, you should have pointed out, pulled out that phaser to begin with. Yeah. When he first goes into the cave and he finds the skull, he picks it up. And I wrote, ew, don't touch that. <laughs> <laughs> it was, they look pretty clean. Ugh. It was picked pretty clean. Um, it's interesting. It's like we now kind of get a sense of who Gaul is. Like he says he was sent here because he killed 20 people on the stations and he's killed six more since he's got to Earth 2. So he's he's a serial killer or mass murderer. We know that about him now. And he kind of tells the also commander... Also has a bragging problem. He has a bragging problem. And he also <laughs> tells the commander, his basic plan is just like, yeah, I'm going to like take stuff from this Eden project. And my intention is like, I'm going to take all the women. I'm going to kill all the men. It's going to be great, commander. Mm-hmm. And it is funny, though, because for Tim Curry, I think it works because I think like... It would be grosser to hear a different villain be like, I'm going to take all the women for myself. But Tim Curry's so asexual that I never felt, I never feel any sexual threat from him. Well, the only time I ever felt that was every time he converses with the little girl that made me very uncomfortable. I mean, he's a total creep show, but I'm at no point am I ever like, oh, Tim Curry is going to be super gross. I'm like, he's going to be <laughs> creepy, but. So it's not too fine line between creepy and gross is what we're saying. Yeah, it's too fine a line. <laughs> I also wrote more of a loss parallel. Tim Curry is like an Ethan or Ben Linus character from Lost. Like he's infiltrating the main camp. But go on. That's that's good. I mean, that's a that's a good analogy, actually. But at any rate, this is kind of the conclusion of the episode here because Gaul basically commands the Grendlers to strangle the commander to death, and it's sort of the end of him again, which, as we've mentioned, is very funny to watch a man die in two consecutive episodes. But we kind of end this episode with Gaul returning to camp, Commander's body turning up. And for, I think, the general cast of Earth 2, nothing has inspecifically changed in these two episodes. We've just kind of brought Gaul in, and we're now just kind of back at the same place we ended the pilot. It's just like, we're lost here. Now we have a guide, though, with Gaul, but the Commander is once again dead. Mm-hmm. I like the thought of having a fake out death is fine. Was the gray haired, um, like Charlton Heston ripoff guy, was he a, a friendly character in the, in the pilot? He kind of fulfilled the commander role that Devin plays. Like Devin was still in charge of the mission, but he was kind of the guy who was more right. looked to to like, you know, crew do this, you do this kind of thing. And right. Devin would delegate down to him. So basically that is kind of what's happened he was both friendly and a little, he was very much of a, of a, we're taking this planet by force if we have to, once they yeah. crashed. See, so when, when you do that fake out death, I think it would be more of a gut punch if it was somebody that the audience liked. He was likable, but was he? I, we just didn't okay. spend enough time with him, yeah. Got it. I don't know. I, I'm going to give, I'm going to just give 
points to this show in that I can't think of another show I've ever seen where they kill what seems like a main character in the first episode and then fake you out by bringing him back in the second episode and then triple fake you out by just killing him again. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. I've, I've never had the rug pulled out of me that many times over two episodes. I did think like when, when they sh- panned over him dead, I was like, is he really dead though? And then he was. And I was like, oh shit. That's it. Like Mike Myers and it gets up. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, you guys, let's get into episode three. Here's the IMDb summary for Life Lessons. It was the man who called me Poppet. I never even got to find out what Poppet means. My dad just stole me back to my old boring life of school and rules by the millions. But I wasn't sad. I knew we'd meet again. Somewhere. Somehow. Because just like Gaul says, this is the land where magic happens. With narration by True, Gaul tries to gain her confidence in order to obtain a vehicle. And that was courtesy of R.W. Zimdapa. What he misses is... Most of the episode is true whining about a horse. Yes! What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with her? They are on a remote planet. Like, she lives her entire, like, her entire life on a space station. And then she gets all fucking jealous about a goddamn horse. And I thought that was really stereo, like, kind of sexist, too. That, of course, the girl wants a pony, you know? <laughs> I will. I mean, I will... I'm not going to say it forgives all of it, but a big part of like what we know about her character from the first episode is like she is doing these missions with her father. And like one of the reasons she's kind of agreed to it as a child is like she's going to get a cat when she gets back home. So when she takes that little monster in the first episode, too, that becomes like her pet, which she's then forced to get rid of again when it like starts killing people like she, what the very little we know about her is she is desperate to have a pet to take care of. I know, this is kind of sounding like a little Jeffrey Dahmer in the making. (laughs) She is obsessed with getting animals. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this episode kind of opens up with Gaul. It's nighttime. He's getting into one of their vehicles, which are all operated by voice command. And Tim Curry is good, so all these scenes really work with him. But I enjoyed the idea of this scene because what we've come to know is all their vehicles work by voice command. And, you know, he's been gone for 15 years. He doesn't know how technology works anymore. So it's just him sitting in a vehicle being like, car go, car start, car roll. He's just shouting voice commands. At a, and just like, I've been there. I've been there trying to get uh, Siri to do something for me. But he gets caught by a uh, true, but he talks his way out of it because she's young and stupid. Well, she's just a kid. She doesn't know. I believe his line is uh, when she catches him, she's like, I'm just playing with your toys, Poppet. Yeah, that poppet thing comes up so many times to the point that I had to look up what the... Because I know it's like a UK slang, right? Yeah, that's all I know too. But I thought it was like... Because I remember hearing it in like Pirates of the Caribbean, like those movies. And I was just like... But they were saying that to Kira Knightley. And I was like, yeah, she's hot. And I'm like, why are they... Why is he saying it to this little girl? Which instantly made me feel uncomfortable. Wait, are you saying this is what you thought was a pickup line? You would go to bars and say, hey, pop it. Yeah, I did. It's like sugar tits. <laughs> oh, good God. <laughs> I, I thought the line was more of something you would say to a small child, which is also what I thought was happening in, uh, in Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> okay, Sorry, well. just one more time. Billy, what's that pickup line in the bar you said? Uh, you just call a woman sugar tits. And Billy, how long have you been married for? Oh, uh, uh, I'm currently single. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's keep going, shall we? <laughs> um, but essentially the next day, what we kind of find out from Danzinger as he's trying to fix one of these vehicles that uh, our, our dear friend Gall was kicking around is there's a, there's a crystal fuse missing. Other things have started going missing, like boxes of apple gluten and... You know, everyone's suspicious, and Gall is obviously a prime candidate, but he's always, like, being like, ah, it's probably those mischievous Grendelers. They're always uh, they're always out there just taking stuff that doesn't belong to them. But it's very funny, because in this episode, after last episode, it's very clear that everyone's already like, this guy is clearly, he's the one who's clearly taking her stuff. But it is that thing, like, 
it seems weird. It seemed weird to me at first, but then I realized, I'm like, oh, this is just like working in an office. Like, there's that one guy you know is just like he's the one who's taking all the paper clips, but he just won't admit to it. But everyone's just like, we got to work with him every day, so everyone's just too polite about it. It's like someone who walks into the kitchen at a production office and is just like, someone ate all the seaweed chips, <laughs> but they really just want. They just want more seaweed chips for themselves, you know? <laughs> Everyone just has to be polite to him because they just don't want to start a fight. But they're all like, we, we know it's you. We know you're doing this. I don't. Okay. That's what I don't understand. If they all don't trust him, then just get him the fuck out of there. Well, the captain, Devin, she does mention at one point when she has a conversation with Yale, she says, look, he probably is guilty and we all think he's guilty, but he has been here a long time. And he doesn't have anyone else, so we're going to kind of go on a limb a little bit here, even though we kind of know what, what's happening. Yeah, right. it is like, let's, like, they feel bad enough for him, they're willing to, like, put up with some of his, like, weird shit for a while. But it is clear, even at the very beginning of this episode, that the, the leash is very short right now. Like, him getting kicked out by the end of the episode is very likely. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, I think to your point too, Jordan, he's also kind of helping a little bit. Like, at some point he comes back and he's he's found some of their missing supplies. Like, found. We were pretty sure he's had them the whole time. Um, but this particular box of supplies, when they open it up, is full of, like, dry ice mist and cylinders. And um, this is kind of where the horse you're referring to earlier comes in. Because uh, Dr. Heller's, like, pulling them out. And she's like, I'm not sure what these are. But I know Devin had biologists creating, like instant tomato plants that could grow without sunlight or like oxygen so she's looking at these cylinders she's like maybe this is a tomato plant let's turn it on and see what happens not to be too picky but don't you think if they have all their supplies prepared for you know restarting society in a new planet there'd be some sort of labeling at all so you could tell the difference between a horse embryo and a plant seed because that seems like a wild just guess to have to open something when you're like you're farming you go oh crap i opened another donkey i was looking for cucumbers <laughs> well i also i also was just like don't like you can just go i bet you if you ask Devin, she has a manifest dr heller you don't have to just turn it on and see what happens like also like if she, she's a fucking doctor like can she not tell the difference between an embryo and a plant no it was very weird. I know. I'm like, I'm like, you were very sure this was going to be a tomato plant. So like, that's a, that's a big swing and a miss. Yeah. So that's a, that's a few for her already. She uh, didn't know when someone was dead and she doesn't know the difference, you know, a tomato and a horse. Uh, but essentially they flip it on. It's got a 10 hour incubation period. And basically when they come back in the morning, we get a scene very much like we, what we saw in K9000. Mm -hmm. The dog comes out of it's like embryonic sack. Like it's, it's a big gooey sack very stretchy. There's something moving around inside. It's definitely not a tomato plant. No, it's a big old horse. I wrote that the horse being birthed under a tarp is like Jurassic Park with less steps. Because <laughs> Fair they, all they did was switch a button on and then all of a sudden the horse is birthed. Yeah, you got, you got a brand new baby horse. And like, you know, this is obviously a very kid-centric episode as we mentioned. So both Yuli and True are very excited that we've got a horse coming out. And, like, Yuli's up front because he's, like, the commander's daughter. And he's, like, petting the horse. And when True tries to stick her hand in to pet it, he's like, don't touch it. It's very fragile. It's not for you. Yeah, he's a jerk. There's no question he's a jerk. And you haven't seen this, Billy, but we've seen this a little bit over the last few episodes, which is funny to me because usually when we see these older 70s shows with kids, the kids are immediately friends. In these, like, three episodes, what we see is these kids hate each other we've seen yeah. true tell bill tell yuli that his mom is stupid and that she's a monster for bringing him here oh. billy is just like shutting her down left and right <laughs> billy yuli she also dropped him off a off a car in the first episode while he was while he still was uh oh. semi-disabled oh was he in that in that suit that his mom gives him to like go and put somewhere yeah 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 his mom very was just like take care of your stuff kid <laughs> That was a weird scene. She was like, go get your suit out of the tent where it's being stored. Now go find somewhere else where this can be stored. <laughs> she was trying to teach him some responsibility. <laughs> it is funny because for both Yuli and True, what we see of them is they kind of are going to class with the tutor. And it's quite clear for True that she has never received education before. She's at the bottom mm -hmm. of the like economic food chain. So she doesn't get educated. She worked with her dad on ships. And... Yuli is just like named after Ulysses. When this horse is born, he immediately names it Pegasus. 
and he's and she's just like why did why did you get a name at pegasus he's just like that's just its name kid it's just its name true deal with it <laughs> but there is like and maybe this is why i am enjoying true more than you guys but like i can't help but watch this through the lens of like Yuli is just like some rich one percenter kid and she is just the bottom rung so like he just shits on her non-stop like it's my horse i get everything you are just scum get out of here and her reaction to everything this episode is just like it's like she's being radicalized by gall to realize there is an economic class system she's at the bottom of that's actually that's a really good point yeah that is a little bit like what's happening it's sort of like a a cult leader taking someone who has been a little bit damaged and giving them that self-confidence that they might lack. Yeah, like, and that's kind of what we're going to see this episode is that because this horse came out and because Yuli is, like, not cruel, but, like, mean like a kid is mean to her, knowing she wants pets but not letting her, like, kind of get near it, Gal sees an opportunity in her to be like, hey, you think rich people are mean to you? That's life, kid. You want to... But you know what's not true? This planet isn't Earth. We can make our own rules here. So maybe we got to do things a little differently. Like, it's something, and I can see why perhaps people wouldn't like this episode. I liked the idea of Gaul radicalizing a, a, a child. Like, it was an interesting way of setting him up to, like, get a ally in this group. And one that wouldn't be as, like, receptive. You know, she wouldn't be as clever about it. She wouldn't be able to see through it as much. I agree. Like, I really enjoyed... Uh, I actually really liked this episode. I liked it more than episode two. I did write Tim Curry's shit-stirring with the kids as a weird villain motivation, but now that you've said that point, I do get it, because he went he went towards the weakest link in the group. Yeah, exactly. But sort of as the episode goes on, like, True's gonna try to make another horse for herself, but, it, like, she, like, sneaks into... She, like, sneaks out of her bedroom and, like, tries to start one, but it dies. It dies before the morning. Like, she just, like, it's... Okay, to this thing. Did Dr. Hot Blonde abort the horse? <laughs> it felt a little like that, I agree. I did, right? I did think the same thing. I think that she... I think Dr. Hot Blonde aborted that fort horse. It's funny that you both thought that. My thought was... This little 10-year-old girl can tell the difference between the horse embryo and the plants, but the doctor can't. Because she found the horse right away. <laughs> I mean, another good point. I, I, I think, Billy, to your theory, why I, I thought that too is what we come to learn about the horse that did get born is it was damaged in shipping. So its pituitary gland is not stopping its rapid accelerated growth. So like very quickly, what we see is the horse ages from baby to full grown horse the next day and then starts having huge open sores on its body. Oh, that was so fucking gross. Also, I was really hoping that they were going to have to deal with a giant horse. Like I thought it was growing like in size that it was just gonna become <laughs> this gigantic like monster horse and then when they said it's aging rapidly i was like so disappointed i just wanted to see this giant horse traipsing around this planet that is a very funny idea i mean kind of the horse is ends up being saved dr heller i guess maybe to her credit this one time is able to use her <laughs> medical nintendo power glove to fix its pituitary gland so we kind of are like left i thought they were going to kill the horse and because they're like we can't have a horse every episode but they kind of save it so there's an implication like all right we're gonna have at least one horse um so there's a kind of this weird thing where like i also thought maybe because the first horse was broken she uh, also she aborted the second horse because she couldn't deal with two genetically defective horses the only time that i agreed with morgan was when he suggested that they eat the horse when they started rationing <laughs> i was when they started rationing their supplies i was like you got a big hunk of meat right there. Just eat the horse. And then he said it. And I was like, yeah, me and Morgan are on the same page about this one thing. So you're on this planet. At first, you're like, Morgan, this guy's an idiot. I don't like this guy at all. He's a jerk. And then slowly you're like, you know what? He's got a few good ideas. I'm coming That's around. Point. What if the slice you got was the little wound, disgusting <laughs> little goiter part? That's the slice you get. It's not looking so good now, is it? I don't know. I'd like my meat a little charred. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also wrote uh, one of Morgan's quotes when he was talking to Rebecca Gayhart, and he said, when he was talking about don't you miss life back on the space station, and he said, all the perks that come with being a government liaison's wife. <laughs> I did catch that too. That was very funny. Uh, there can't like, be that many perks. Yeah. How many perks could there be? I mean, it's definitely not coming to this planet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
Um, but kind of getting back to kind of what is the core relationship of this episode is, uh, you know, Gaul and True building a, a friendship, though a manipulative friendship at that is because Gaul sees how upset she is. He kind of gets in there to win her over by like he kind of shows her like some magic tricks, if you will, where he like takes a flower off a tree and when he holds it in the dark of his hand, it, it blooms like he knows things about this planet. And and they put the kids in these like I believe they call them wrist locks. They're basically like they basically have geo trackers on their wrists so they can't wander too far. And True's annoyed because she's just like, they're always tracking me. She doesn't really care for it. So he's like, hey, let me show you how to, like, take that off your wrist. Like, he's kind of giving her little treats and, like, I mean, it really is why it is creepy elementally. Because it is uh, it's an entire episode where a man grooms a child to yeah. do something he needs her to do. Yeah, that's exactly what I wrote. He's grooming but he's he's a little bit of a fagin, right? That's his character. Absolutely. Yeah, like it's it's not as creepy as it could be. Like today I think we see that all through that lens, but you, for his purposes, it is all making sense. Like we know what he's after and why he's doing these things. Mm-hmm. So we kind of get to watch this progression of him being like if I do these things for you and show you what good friends we are and all the cool things we can do together, will you kind of explain to me how to get these vehicles working? Because he kind of, he basically is, his whole intention is like, I just want to steal one of these vehicles. Mm -hmm. The one that he's going after in episode two, when it was going, when they were driving it across, it's super slow. Yeah, it's It's super slow. Does he think he's going to get away in that thing? No, it can fit a lot of skulls in it. He's got a lot to get out of that cave he's got. (laughs) What am I going to do with all these skulls? Yeah, exactly. He's now got O'Neill's skull because you know the Grendlers have eaten his face. <laughs> but it is funny because, like, this is what's happening between them. But at the same time, like, you mentioned that scene between Yuli and his mom where his mom's trying to teach him a weird life lesson. And you won't have seen this, but in previous episodes, we've seen that Devin's pretty distant from her son a lot of the time because she's busy commanding. And, like, we'll see Danzinger teaching him to run and do those things. And she's always just like, you're a bad dad. Don't talk to my son. But she's not much right. of a better parent, it doesn't seem. And Danziger himself, like, he's spending time with Yuli. And when we see him this episode, like, he he knows Gale's ha- or Gale, Gaul's hanging around his vehicles. And they have a confrontation. And he talks about his vehicle. He's like, those are my vehicles, Gaul. You stay away from them. I care about my vehicles. But he's seen Gaul hang with his daughter and doesn't seem to have any yeah, that's care weird. about this man hanging with his Like, he seems like a bad dad. I also like when Tim Curry starts hitting it like an old TV in the, like, 70s like why is this working <laughs> like yeah yeah like it's there's, there's kind of a weird subplot here where both the parents seem to be fairly absentee and the kids are largely abandoned to their own devices only tracked by gps's like there's a huge opportunity here that gall is totally taking advantage of like bad parenting yeah they're like the equivalent of the parents that put their kids on leashes at in florida you know like at the amusement parks <laughs> exactly just jumping ahead because i think it's happening in a couple scenes I wanted to talk about Gaul giving the Grendlers a reward. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, we can talk a little about that because uh, as we see, it's like him and True go into the forest a lot and chat. And like, there's actually a point where he's just like, I wish you were my daughter, True. Mm -hmm. Like, he's trying to win her over. And she comes across him plotting with the Grendlers. Like, he literally is plotting to kill her father with the Grendlers. And what what she sees when he's talking to the Grendlers is insane. Yeah, Billy, do you want to describe what, what happens? He's talking to the two Dark Crystal guys, and he pricks his finger and puts the blood in a leaf. And then the Grendlers, they're so cute. And they just sip it up, and they're like, <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> it is. It, he's feeding them his blood. And in fact, he, he offers it to them as a reward. And I believe uh, the quote he says for when he gives them is... Um, assume the beggar's position oh and if we know them as traitors we know that maybe beggars are low in their society like there's this idea that like he is command like he has clearly positioned himself as some sort of like ruler and they love the taste of his blood so he's like using that to control them Mm -hmm. now do you think it's all human blood or does gall just have like really good blood i think there are creatures that eat meat and blood and he's found this out and he's rationing it because I'm assuming they're not very good at actually catching anybody. Yeah, they're pretty slow moving. He's just giving them meals a drop at a time. <laughs> so, I mean, like, Gaul is like full villain now. It's kind of like a, like, 
we're seeing it through True's eyes, but like, you know, it's we're really seeing like the full extent of Tim Curry's villainous role here. And as you said, you know, everyone's kind of suspicious of him. Danziger's one of Mir's vehicles. The commander was going to keep him around, but she's suspicious. And Yale is also very, very obsessed with like, what's this guy's deal? And we come to learn that Yale as a cyborg seems to have a computer database inside of his head and we get to see it via like classic RoboCop vision. Yeah, but they also had like a, almost a 3D model of the face on the side of the screen. I like that. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because <laughs> because the text was backwards. So I couldn't really see what he was um what he was seeing with Tim Curry's character. I got E2. What does E2 mean? What was that all about? We don't know yet cuz Okay, we don't know yet. Yeah, he kind of has face recognition technology. So he takes a scan, a 3D scan of uh, Gaul's face. He's running it through a database in his head. And we're seeing it through, you know, RoboVision. And he's not finding the right files. And the ones he is filing are saying classified. And then he catches there's like a brand, something branded on the side of his neck, which is uh, E2, Earth 2, if you will. Um, But he still can't find any data about that. Like whatever the files are related to Gaul and this tattoo and this brand aren't in his database they're classified am i making this up or did they say that he's a janitor no no i don't think they said he's a janitor i think what <laughs> I, it was i is, swear i heard it i thought i heard janitor. well here I, I i think here's where you're getting that from is yale goes to talk to morgan because morgan's a government liaison maybe he has more access to files than him and he's like hey morgan n- weird question do you know anything about an e2 project or anything and morgan's just like what like the sanitation project and he's like, no, no, That's no, like, I... like people, people traveling to other provinces. He's like, no, I don't know anything about that. I'm not that high up. But that triggers yell. He's just like, oh, but you knew it. It's sanitation project named E2. And what what he's able to dig up with this information is the government had an off the books penal colony set up via sanitation part. So like they, they hit it within a garbage sort of line item where they were shooting these people to Earth too. So oh that's how he's God. able to piece together. That is so complicated. It is very complicated. That is so complicated. I just thought that he was a janitor. (laughs) (laughs) The important part of all this, though, is while this is happening, True takes off her little bracelet, sneaks out the night, and brings Gaul a horse. And what I like is he's not terribly happy with the horse. Well, that's just it, is when Gaul, when she catches Gaul with those Grendlers. <laughs> he hates it. He does hate it. It's true. When when True catches Gaul with those Grendlers trying to kill her dad, he makes up this story about how her dad's going to throw him out of the, he's like, oh, your dad just banished me so I can never come back. Would you hook me up with a vehicle so I can, like, stay close to you? Like, I don't want to, like, stop being your friend. And True's like, oh, well, a vehicle, a horse is just as good as a vehicle. And... Initially, Tim Curry's just like, what the fuck is this shit? I wanted a vehicle. It probably moves a lot faster than the vehicles that they have, though. That's what I thought, too. But as we'll see later, the vehicles move faster than a horse, apparently. And it's got to be faster than riding on one of the Grendler's backs. I'm assuming that's how he's been getting around. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Just has, like, a a vial of blood on a stick and is just, like... Exactly. (laughs) But you're right. Gaul, like, changes his tune very quickly because he's like, well, no reason to berate a child. I need her to stay on my side. And this was an interesting scene because he's basically like, you know what, True? Let's just leave your people. Like, your dad doesn't look after you. Let's, like, we're friends. Do you want to come with me? And, like, there's that moment where you'd think she would have the epiphany that this isn't a good idea. But she says yes. Like, she accepts the offer and gets on the horse. And it it's only that Yale tells her father that, like, he's figured out this whole penal colony Gaul's a criminal thing that her dad even comes after her. Like, her dad has it, like, if he hadn't found out, her dad wouldn't have thought about it. She only comes after her at that moment. So we kind of get a, we get a horse versus cart scene, go-kart scene, where he chases mm-hmm. chases down old Gaul. They get in a fight. He orders his daughter onto the truck, and, like, he does banish Gaul, like Gaul promised. He's like, you get out of here. You never come back. I don't want to ever see you again. And he's, Gaul is, like, very funny, because Gaul's, like, manipulates him into saying, would you kill me in cold blood in front of your own daughter? And he's right. like, I would kill you in cold blood in front of my own daughter. <laughs> the radicalization of True comes to a completion here by seeing her dad as a violent man toward this, her only friend on this planet. And we kind of get the scene ending with, she's driving off with her dad in the cart. Gaul's been banished from the group, but Gaul has made her a little whistle that she's got in her hand that he said, if you ever blow this whistle... I will come for you. And we kind of end on a scene with her like holding this whistle being like, 
and the voiceover is just like Gaul's gonna come back because he's magical and we're gonna like hang out again like I'm gonna make sure he comes back I did love that I loved that she had like this sort of sadistic look on her face that made me think she's gonna become the villain that did make me turn around on her a bit if that's where the plot is going yeah, I, I agree. I don't know if that's where the plot will go either. But like the fact that like that was where it was left for us, just like you you said, she could be like a, like a serial killer. Why does she want all these animals? When we leave her at the end, she's in the pocket of a serial killer, like a man who's killed twenty six people. Like it is a really dark ending that I was just like, oh, uh, if they keep following this thread where they could, it could be very cool. And we're only three episodes in. I do have one last question for you guys about this episode, though. When they drive off with True at the end. The horse just runs off. Like, is did the horse just run into the woods? Are they never, never going to see the horse again? I assumed Gaul took the horse. Oh, I just hope that it comes back as a giant. They <laughs> <laughs> just like you know, Morgan will be excited. He'll be like, "Enough for all of us." <laughs> you know, it's horse like, steaks uh, tonight. It's like the the smoke monster in Lost, except it's a giant horse on this planet. <laughs> that would be great. So, I mean, that wraps up the two episodes. I don't know if you guys have any, like, final notes on anything we didn't touch on. Uh, I'm just going to drop one little factoid here that I didn't bring up for the rest of it. Is at some point someone drops the little the little note, this little factoid about Earth 2. Is uh, Someone says, the days here are shorter, but the years are longer. And I was just like, oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it means the uh, their orbit around their sun takes longer, but their actual spinning of the planet is shorter. Or it goes oh, faster, I should say. I wanted to know. I don't know why, why that matters. I Well, I was just like, I'm like, well, just tell me, like, how long's a year and how long's a day? I'm very curious now. But uh, it's something we've seen a lot of times. And almost every time we have a science fiction show where they want to show you're on a different planet, you either get many moons or many suns. Oh, in yeah. In this particular world, it's two moons. I forgot about that. That was good. I'm like, oh, two moons. We're on a different planet. I know you guys think this looks exactly like Utah, but... Don't worry, Utah doesn't have two <laughs> two uh, moons, so this has got to be a different planet. Oh, man. Yeah, all right. I mean, if you guys are ready, you want to rate these episodes? Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. Well, uh, let's start with you, Billy, since you're the guest. So what would you give uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth to? Typically, we rate these out of kind of 10 stars. Like, that's the IMDb rating system, and that's kind of how, we, how we're running things. I will give episode two. I'll give episode two a solid five. Five out of ten is solid? I don't know. It's kind of like, it was middle of the road for me, you know? I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed episode three. Fair enough. Jordan, what, what about you? How did you like that, that first episode? I'm going to give this episode a 6.5. I think it was, it was okay. It was an okay episode. I, I'm liking the show a lot more, and I'm going to give credit where credit's due. I think the show is a Tim Curry-centric show for me. I think... That I finally got to see Tim Curry doing stuff. He's really doing a lot for me. I, I had I had a great time. I'm giving it a 7.5. And, and that's a good point, though, Luke. Right now, by far, the most arresting actor, the most charismatic performer is definitely Tim Curry. And he's a guest star. So I don't think he's going to be in the next episode. And I don't know who's, who's picking up the slack. I'll tell you, it's not the doctor. It's a real risk the show's running. You're not wrong. Like, I am also worried, like, if Tim Curry goes away and he's really ho- making the show fun, he's really bringing a lot to it, like, what am I going to be left with? Because we just had two very Tim Curry-centric episodes. I mean, I liked the first pilot. Like, I enjoyed it. But Tim Curry has really brought it to a new level for me. Mm, agreed. Maybe maybe more Grendlers. All right. How about Life Lessons, uh, episode three? Billy? I think I will give that. I really enjoyed it. I'll give it a solid eight solid eight i loved the sadistic little girl i love when she said that she like when she wanted the horse so bad that she wished that other boy had died i was just like oh my god she really wants that horse yeah i'm i'm in agreement i loved him curry in this i mean i'm certainly reading more into the subtext that's probably there but like for me it was a great time with tim curry i'm giving it an eight as well you know originally on my notes what it says is six out of 10, but after discussing it with you guys and specifically Luke, I think your championing of this episode and finding some subtext that may or may not be there, I think has made me like this episode more. So it's going up to a seven. Whoa, the rare, the rare upgrade. Mm-hmm. You never know what might happen. I might one day get to an eight. You said specifically Luke, but you didn't like my giant horse theory. <laughs> well, that was at least 0.5. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I wrote as like um, a final a final thought of mine about this show was this is the type of show that if I had cable, 
and was flipping the channels around and I saw this on, I would probably keep flipping. (laughs) (laughs) I think it might be a show where you watch in between commercials of another show you like more. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I also wrote that I sharted during episode three. It had nothing to do with the show. Jeez. It had nothing to do with the show, but I just wanted to let you know that it happened. I just misjudged. I think you got to work on your diet. I misjudged. (laughs) It's all that horse meat. (laughs) That's all we eat in New Brunswick. (laughs) All right. Well, that I think that wraps it up for this uh, this episode of the podcast. Uh, Billy, thank you so much for joining us, watching these two episodes, and uh, just coming in cold. Appreciate you uh, making the time. Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And uh, if you, listener, have any thoughts on uh, Earth Two, you can. as always, email us at continuedrag at gmail.com. And on our Instagram and Twitter, we're going to have some clips from the show. Horse lesions, um, Grendlers. We've got it all coming up. But Continuum Drag is the, is the handle. And uh, I guess that about wraps it up. So, listener, we'll see you next week. And, Jordan, good doing this with you. Billy, here, let's hear that guac one more time. Quack! I just sharted again. <laughs> <laughs> Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.